Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by the boys. First, in Northern Virginia, we have Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's going on, man? Hello. How's it going? I was on mute there. Sorry. <laughs> it's no worries, man. Ricky LeBlue is not on mute in 757. Rick, what's going on? Mike is on like seven different podcasts every week and he still makes rookie mistakes like I talking do. when his mic is muted. I do. I also do that with work as well. I'm on mute <laughs> a lot with the work. So do you get happen, any better? Do you happen to know when and when your camera is not on? Yes, I okay. do. That is, I've I do. heard I've heard stories of that being problematic. That is an important others. skill yes. to have. You can yes. talk on mute all you want as long as you know when your camera's on and when it's off. Yes, my last name is not Tubin, so we're good. <laughs> and here we go. A game that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time has arrived. The Hokies headed to Morgantown, West Virginia to take on the Mountaineers. We have all the information for you, but first, we're going to thank our good friends, over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. And look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, gentlemen. Well, unfortunately for Mike, he has a legitimate job. And as Ricky mentioned, he's also on seven podcasts. I also have a legitimate job. I mean, damn. Okay, well, you do too. Mike is a special. I don't like work eight to I five. Mean, <laughs> technically, technically, so do I. Yeah, like, we all have I, legitimate. I jobs. technically have a real job, yes. But <laughs> what? Where the hell are you going with this, Andrew? You made that sound a lot worse than it had to be. Okay, well, we can edit, we can edit all of this out, regardless. Dude, Mike's too <laughs> busy for us. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what Andrew's trying to say here is that Mike had a prior engagement and he was not able to join in yes. the first segment you're going to hear on this podcast. But Which was good. Yes, it, was a, good it was a great segment. And all thanks to Andrew for bringing him on. Indeed. Skylar Callahan, a guy who I've known for a long time, a really good man. He covers West Virginia over at Sports Illustrated. Me and Rick had the opportunity to talk to him for about 15 minutes today. So if you want the West Virginia preview from the West Virginia side, stay tuned. All three of us will be back in just a minute. We had to get the chance to bring our guy, Skylar Callahan, a West Virginia reporter for Sports Illustrated onto the program. Skylar, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Indeed, indeed. Now, folks, Skylar comes on our radio show once a week during football season, primarily because he doubles as a Carolina Panthers reporter. But me and Paul Van Wagner have been throwing shade about this matchup for over a year now, and it's finally happening. The Hokies and the Mountaineers of West Virginia. So, Skylar, I want to start off broad. Virginia Tech fans might not be as cued in with West Virginia football as they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because, frankly, these teams haven't faced off very often. So, 10,000-foot view. What's the state of the West Virginia program right now? Yeah, honestly, I think it's kind of up in the air right now. We don't really know if they're heading in the right direction or not. You know, through the first 24 games, Neil Brown's 12 and 12. Um, this is kind of the, the prove it year, I think, for him. And I don't know that this is a year that could put him on the hot seat, but it, it definitely could if things start to get out of control. Obviously, this is a big game this week against Virginia Tech. And then, they have to go on the road next week to play the number three team in the country in Oklahoma. So if the if the Mountaineers lose these next two games, you're looking at one and three, 
very slow start to the season. It's not going to make fans happy. Surely won't make the boosters happy. Um, and he's going to have to pull off a miracle uh, the rest of the season to kind of keep the faith of the fan base moving forward. So I think the one thing really good going for him right now is the recruiting class that he, he just brought in in the 21 class, uh, but more so in the 2022 class, which is pretty much a top 25 class no matter where you look at, whether it be 247 Rivals or even us at Sports Illustrated. Um, there's a lot of talent coming in, and I think that a lot of people are going to bank on that talent uh, to take West Virginia to the next level. And with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 here probably in the next couple of years, it kind of opens up a door for West Virginia. And I think this is really a good opportunity for Neil Brown to stack good recruiting classes on top of each other and maybe be a top two or top three team year in and year out in the Big 12. So, um, but yeah, this is a big game for Neil Brown. And I think this is, you could arguably say this is the biggest game to date for him since he's been the head coach there. Skyler, I want to talk a bit more about Neil Brown. When he, coming from Troy, what was kind of the expectation level for the fan base in terms of how quickly he could get things going in the direction he wanted? And has he been able to build the identity that everyone was kind of hoping he would be able to? Yeah, I think the expectation was probably, you know, three to four years. And we're kind of seeing that, you know, even last year, um, when they took that step up, went to a six and four, or finished six, six and four, won the bowl game against Army. Um, obviously, not a huge bowl game, but it's a step in the right direction. You want to get bowl eligible. You want to win a bowl game. You want to show some signs of positivity moving forward. And I thought they did that last year. You look at the defensive side of the ball, they had the number one passing defense in the country. They were pretty much top five across the board in every defensive uh, statistical category as well. So, um, really, it's kind of the offense now that we're waiting on. He's got to get that quarterback situation figured out. Jarrett Deggie has really just kind of been average at best. And Austin Kendall, when he started games, was kind of average too. So if they can get a quarterback that can really elevate this offense, I think you could see West Virginia move up into that upper tier of the Big 12. But I think everyone kind of was on the same page. It was going to be, a, a, you know, year three, year four is when we really start to see, you know, him taking this program up from maybe an average six and seven wins a year to maybe eight to nine wins. But I think right now it's kind of, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen because of this quarterback situation. And I think Garrett Green, the redshirt freshman, he has shown glimpses. He, he gives that, that offense a different look because of his ability to run. And I think it's going to be something to watch over the next few weeks because if Deggy continues to struggle, we could see Garrett Green come in and maybe win that job over. But um, I think really he it, to this point he it, things have gone as we expected you know bad year one Dana Holgerson left the cupboard extremely bare didn't recruit any quarterbacks in his final year here and honestly kind of did really care about that last recruiting class and I think you could tell the last couple of months that he was at West Virginia and it kind of left West Virginia really shorthanded and now they're just trying to recover from it so um, pretty much on par as at, at least at this point. In terms of how the the fan base views Virginia Tech, obviously these two schools played in 2017, but before that it was quite some time. And um, our generation of, of observers and fans haven't really been able to experience all that much of West Virginia versus Virginia Tech and haven't been able to experience the road atmospheres in Morgantown or in Blacksburg. So – 
for the fan base, both old and young, how does the fan base view Virginia Tech in terms of them being a rival? Yeah, I think really, I think the older generation knows how much is on for this game and, and the importance of it, you know, not just because they're playing for the Black Diamond Trophy, but, I mean, there's recruiting implications, there's bragging rights, all this other types of stuff. And obviously there's kids from Virginia on West Virginia's roster. And every now and again, there's there's West Virginia kids that end up at Virginia Tech. Um, Doug Nestor being one of them um, who actually yeah. went to Virginia Tech and now he's at West Virginia. So this this game means a lot to him, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, for, I think for the younger generation, it's kind of cool, too, because they again, you did they did get to see, you know, that game in 2017. And as I told um, the guys on the ESPN show, it, it kind of, even though that, that game had been dormant for a while, it felt like a rivalry. It felt like it was a game that was had been, been played for year after yeah. year, but um, that was just a really good atmosphere um, in that game in 2017. I think we're going to see that on Saturday, but I, I think this is a game that has to be played every year, if not every other year, unless West Virginia gets into the ACC, but there, there's so much that rides on this, um, but as, as for West Virginia fans, I think it kind of depends on where you live. You know, I think it's from the center of the state north. You kind of think as Pitt as the main rival where the south, you know, the southern port of this portion of the state or southeastern portion kind of views Virginia Tech as that number one rival. So it kind of depends on where you live. But no matter how you slice it up, this game is it means a lot to the fans and, and the people of the state. That's for sure. So, Skylar, I got to ask for our Virginia Tech listeners out there, the memories of games past dating back to when that series ended in 2005 trips to Morgantown were characterized by some rowdiness, some violence, things got out of hand to the point where they ultimately stopped the series. Here we are 16, 17 years later. Is that something that fans should still (laughs) expect in Morgantown coming as fans of the visiting Virginia Tech Hokies? You know, I, that, that's a that's a good question. You know, I'm not really sure. I think um, it, it's definitely going to be a, a, a rowdy environment, no doubt about it, um, especially when you haven't played a rival in so long. I mean, yeah, it was great to have that game in 2017, but you didn't really have the full effect because it wasn't at, you know, Milan Pushkar Stadium or it wasn't in Blacksburg. Like, it was split down the middle neutral site. It's great and all, but that that's what makes these games is these atmospheres when you have to travel on the road for these games. And um, I, I don't know if, if there's going to be violence or anything. I'm sure something's going to start. It, it seems like there always is when you know, Virginia Tech or Pitt come to town. Um, but, you know, honestly, you know, for for years and years now that, that West Virginia has been in the Big 12, I've heard a lot of people say, that the fans of West Virginia have been very welcoming to the away opponents and their fans and stuff. They, they've had a lot of tailgates with each other and stuff like that. They've really been uh, kind of welcoming in the Big 12 opponents' fans with welc- with open arms. I don't know if that's going to be the same treatment that Virginia Tech fans get on Saturday, but um, I, I don't expect anything terrible to happen. But it'll be a fun and, and loud environment, that's for sure. So let's get to the team on the field. Jarrett Diggy this is a guy who – Came in to West Virginia with a lot of experience. A two-year starter at Bowling Green, transfers to Morgantown, halfway or two-thirds through that first season, he takes over as starter, ends up starting all of 2020. Now here he is, named the starter in 2021, two games in, 
Have we seen improvement from Daigie? What are his strengths and what are his weaknesses? You know, I try not to bash a guy too much because, I mean, these are college kids, but they, in, in a sense, they're grownups too. So I think they can take it. But, you know, in terms of his strengths, you know, I, I don't know that there's any one in, you know, particular thing that really stands out other than um, he, he usually, he typically does take very good care of the football, which we have, we didn't really see that in week one against Maryland, but think he only had three or four interceptions last year and two of them came in one game to Baylor which one of them was a tipped ball so he knows when to you know to kind of push the envelope down the field or try to squeeze one into a tight window but for the most part he does a very good job of taking care of the football checking down to his running backs or his you know his tight ends Um, he doesn't really try to to force it which is kind of something that West Virginia fans aren't used to seeing because they were spoiled with with, with uh, Will Greer and, and Clint Trickett and Geno Smith and all those quarterbacks that kind of had that gunslinger mentality. Now they have a guy that necessarily doesn't operate that same way. But, you know, I think really the biggest weakness for him is his lack of mobility. You know, when, when West Virginia runs these RPOs, it's really not an RPO because there's no factor uh, or there's no – really opportunity for Deggy to pull the ball himself and run it. It's really either hand it off or throw it out to the flat. So instead of there being three options, there's really only two. And when you can kind of tell that the ball is going to be not thrown and it's going to be in, in Luddy Brown's hands, I think defense has been keying in on that. And he doesn't, he doesn't have obviously the greatest, you know, like I said, the mobility factor, but I think the biggest issue that the coaching staff had with him wasn't that he couldn't run. It was that he couldn't evade pressure. He couldn't step up in the pocket, feel the pressure, know when to make those throws. So this is going to be something that we're going to have to continue to watch over the next couple of weeks because I think this game and next week against Oklahoma are going to tell a lot about Jared Daigie, the improvements that he's made, because they said he was the most improved player on the team this season. If that's the case and that's what we've seen so far, then this is going to be a long year for West Virginia. Uh, but I, I think Garrett Green gives him a totally different mindset offensively. And I think that at some point, if West Virginia continues to struggle, I think you're going to see them make a change at that position. Kind of going back to staying with this particular version of the team, something that Virginia Tech is really struggling with at the moment is offensive consistency. And part of that comes with their inability to generate separation in the passing game. And I'm curious as to what kind of defensive secondary Virginia Tech is going to see on Saturday against West Virginia. Can you tell us a bit about how their cornerbacks have played so far, what kind of schemes maybe that we can expect to see, and um, if that's a unit that's trending up or trending down? Yeah, so the front-line guys, I think, are really a bright spot because uh, a cornerback, Nick Troy Fortune, this is his third year as a start. He started as a true freshman because he kind of had to. Um, Like I said earlier, when Dana left, he kind of left the covered bear, didn't really have much at a lot of spots, and corner was one of them. So he, he, as a freshman, he got burned a lot, but he also grew a lot in that year. And I think you saw him take that step last year, and he's played really well in the first two games. And at the other cornerback spot, they've been kind of going back and forth between retro freshman Daryl Porter Jr., who was, a, I believe, a three high three-star recruiter, maybe a low four-star recruit, and Jackie Matthews, who has been in the system now for a year. He was a JUCO guy, JUCO All-American. Um, and it, it looks like Jackie Matthews is probably going to win that job. He's played extremely well. He's tackled really, really good in space. 
and he's, he's just a guy that I think they feel comfortable with. And when you look in the back end, they've got some experience as well with Alonzo Adai uh, starting for the second year in a row. Sean Mahone's been here for, a, it seems like, since maybe before Neil Brown was here um, starting. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, like I said, those frontline guys are really good. The the Really, the depth is the issue for West Virginia at the safety spot. They've got a, a couple of redshirt, or excuse me, a couple of true freshmen, Davis Malinger and Aubrey Burks, who they're trying to get caught up to speed. I just don't know that they're going to have much of a factor. And I think you're going to see guys like Jackie Matthews kind of rotate from corner to safety, back to corner. You're going to see a bunch of different looks. And I think really that's that's the one thing about Jordan Leslie, defensive coordinator, it, it, why he is so good is because he doesn't really keep the game or the, the looks of the scheme the same the entire game. He constantly gives offenses and quarterbacks different looks puts different guys in different spots. He may have a safety lining, lining up a bandit or a bandit lining up a spear, moving a corner to safety, a linebacker down to defensive end. He just moves all those pieces around. And I think really the versatility aspect of it all is really what makes this West Virginia defense so good because they have so many guys that can put in different spots. And even on the defensive line, you know, Akeem Mesador, Freshman All-American last year, defensive end. He's now kicked down to inside a de- uh, defensive tackle, which is where Darius Stills played a year ago. And he is just eating stuff up. So um, very, very talented defense. I don't know that they're as good as they were last year, uh, but it's still going to be, I think, a defense to watch out for in the Big 12. Skyler, you mentioned the defensive line. I, I think this game very well may come down to the trenches, as so many college football games do. Jared Dagey. He's many things, but he is not a mobile quarterback. And by all indications, he has struggled when pressured. Yes. Against North Carolina, Virginia Tech's defensive front was spectacular. Six sacks against Sam Howell, even more tackles for loss. How much faith do you have in this West Virginia defensive line to protect Daigie against a group for Virginia Tech that might just be the strength of the team? Yeah, I don't know that I have a ton of faith, to be honest with you. I mean... What we saw last week against Long Island, I mean, you know, when you play a team like Long Island, you're not really going to have many takeaways. And if there are takeaways, they're usually bad ones. And the one bad takeaway I had was the offensive line still looked really inconsistent and didn't dominate. And I don't know how you don't dominate against guys who are 230, 240 pounds on the defensive line when you've got guys that are 310, 330, or maybe even more um, at the Power 5 level. It just it didn't make sense to me. Um, and, and really, when you go back to that Long Island, Long Island game, you know what Long Island was getting a lot of push on that defensive line. And that was kind of a, a bit of a uh, an oh no moment, because you look at, like I said, you know, you look at Virginia Tech this week and Oklahoma. Those are two defensive lines that are going to get after you. And, and if that de- offensive line shows up again, it's not going to be a good day for Jared Deggy. I mean, West Virginia. Uh, their leading rusher last week against Long Island was Garrett Green with 98 yards. Letty Brown had 31 carries on 15 or 31 yards on 15 carries. And this is that that's not going to cut it. I mean, this is a guy that ran for over a thousand yards a year ago and was expected to have a huge season this year. And he has not been able to do that yet because of that offensive line. And I think really for, for Jarrett Dagey, yeah, the offensive line has to protect well, but they also have to, block better in the run game to open things up because if they can't run the football this is the exact same offense that they had in 2019 where they had no run game and they had to rely on the passing game 
with a bunch of inexperienced wide receivers, and I just don't think they're able to do that yet. They're not a one-dimensional team. They're not good enough in the passing game. Jared Daigie's not a good enough quarterback to where they can just say, okay, let's go and throw the ball 40, 45 times a game this, and just hope that things work out. This isn't Geno Smith. This isn't Will Greer. You have to have somewhat of a run game, and I think it all starts with the offensive line. Well, Skyler, thank you so much for joining us, my man. Before you leave, we want a prediction from you. And then, of course, tell our listeners where they can get more great content from you if they want additional West Virginia information. Or I'm sure that many of our listeners are Panthers fans. You got even more where that's coming from, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So for the game, you know, this is kind of one that before the season started, I I was actually not very high on Virginia Tech. I thought this was going to be kind of a – a middle, you know, an average year for them, six and six, seven and five. But from what I've seen through the first two weeks, they're much better than I anticipated. West Virginia is probably not as good as I anticipated being. So uh, with that being said, I'm, I'm going to say Virginia Tech gets the win. I'm going to go 31-23. I think that defense is just going to be too much for Jarrett Daigie to handle. And if they do have to go to Garrett Green, again, that's a redshirt freshman quarterback that's still learning how to read a defense. And that just doesn't spell uh, very much success for West Virginia. So I'm going to go with the Hokies, 31-23. I'm sure I'll make a lot of West Virginia people mad, but I'm going to be straight straight up with you guys. Um, But, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Callan underscore. You can follow the West Virginia site at SI underscore WVU. And for those Panthers fans, you can follow us at SI underscore Panthers. Skyler, appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take care, Skyler. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, we've heard from Skyler Callahan. Mike McDaniel back in the building now. I want to start on the offensive side of the ball because we've heard about West Virginia's defense. We know their strengths, their weaknesses, and it seems like there is some degree of vulnerability in the defensive backfield. After seeing what happened last weekend, Mike, I want to start with you because we didn't get you on the preview pod. What's your degree of confidence in Braxton Burmeister to make those plays through the air this week? It's less about Burmeister. It's more about the receivers and their ability to consistently get open. Um, I Burmeister has been fine. Like, does he hold on to the ball too long? Yeah. Does he not take shots down the field? Yeah. But if you look at the, if you look at the film of it, like the receivers got to get open, man. Like, there's just too many times where, and if you look at like Virginia Tech's deep passing plays this year when they have occurred, it's pretty much exclusively been out of wide receivers in the slot, you know? Um, whether it's Kavion Robinson or, or Trey Turner getting open out of the slot, like that's where Virginia Tech's had success in the deep passing game because they're getting a free release off the line of scrimmage. Anytime that Virginia Tech has an outside receiver lined up, he's having a hard time getting open against press coverage. Like Trey Turner hasn't been able to do it. Caleb Smith hasn't been able to do it. Tavion Robinson, when he's been on the outside, hasn't been able to do it. So uh, Virginia Tech's wide receivers need to play a bit better. Um, And then Burmeister certainly has to deliver the ball when he has the opportunities. Um, There have been a a couple of plays uh, in the middle Tennessee state game. There were a couple of plays uh, in the North Carolina game where, you know, Burmeister could have taken a shot and he didn't. Um, the the one that stands out, obviously, against North Carolina is, is the one where Trey Turner was running wide open and Burmeister just didn't see him. Um, you know, there's nobody within 30 yards of Trey Turner. So that, that was bad. And then there were a couple of opportunities 
in the middle Tennessee state game as well, where, you know, Burmeister held onto the ball too long, didn't throw it. So uh, bottom line is I don't have a high degree of confidence at this point in the passing game being extremely explosive. Do I think that Virginia tech can make plays through the air and have an efficient enough passing game uh, to piece that together throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I do. And I, and I think there will be improvement as the year goes on. Um, and, and Burmeister has been to his credit, pretty accurate when he's thrown the football, he's missed a few throws here and there, but by and large, he's been, he's been pretty good. So do I think Virginia tech can consistently expose a West Virginia secondary that, you know, has lost some pieces off last year's team and is a bit depleted. I think they can, do I think they'll do it consistently? No, I don't. So I think it's going to take the, the running game, the passing game, complimentary football on the offensive side to, to really get this thing done. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but the opportunities are going to be there. It's whether or not Virginia Tech is able to consistently capitalize. Rick, I know you're slightly more skeptical. What are your thoughts? Something Mike didn't mention is that James Mitchell's out for the year. And James Mitchell has been one of Virginia Tech's biggest sources of explosive plays down the field and now Virginia Tech has to has he been yeah he creates when? he creates mismatches down the field we we when? see him able to get open I mean I can pull up his game log if we if we need to do that when? but when did this happen in the first two games when no I'm talking about historically Mike oh historically. yes historically yes sure I'm talking yeah. about this year I'm talking about this year but okay yes. but but we've only got two games so we got to go a bit further back to 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 try and get an different idea as to what kind offense. of offense this is going to be okay and it's not like Braxton Burmeister didn't play last year played a lot last year played a lot early on and then played towards the end of the season I don't know about a lot but yeah okay continue continue it's fine continue all right so Virginia Tech is missing one of their best pass catchers I think we can all agree on that yes Okay, so not having that creates more of a problem for an offense that, as Mike mentioned, has not been able to connect on many throws downfield so far in the season. Burmeister has been okay. I don't think that a majority of the issues have come from him. I do think he has a lot of room to grow, um, but I do agree that Virginia Tech's receiving core is just not generating the separation necessary, and this is the same issue we saw in 2017, especially towards the end of the season. Oh, yeah. With with Josh Jackson playing quarterback is that oftentimes there were not very many guys to throw to. And I specifically remember the Miami game on the road where Virginia Tech's offense was absolutely boxed. Um, and Justin Fuente made it a point to talk about how at some point you've got to win one-on-one matchups on the outside, and we just weren't doing it. And my worry is that for the remainder of the season, that is going to be a consistent issue. Now, you look at the schedule, and so far it doesn't look like there are any daunting defenses on Virginia Tech's schedule, so that's encouraging. And as Skyler said in the first segment, West Virginia has a couple guys in the secondary that have been experienced players and, and know their way around the field, but there's not a lot of depth, particularly at safety. So, this is an opportunity for Braxton Burmeister to try and get some sort of rhythm going on offense. Now, this directly relates to the running game and Virginia Tech's ability to move the ball on the ground because if they're not moving the ball on the ground with Jalen Holston, with Raheem Blackshear, then those options downfield are going to be few and far between. 
and Virginia Tech needs all the options they can get. Let me play the middle ground here on this James Mitchell issue because I don't think anyone can deny that from a pure talent perspective, James Mitchell was far and away the most talented player on this offense. To maybe Mike's point here, it's not like we saw every series James Mitchell catching a 50-yard downfield reception that opened up the offense. But on the other side, James Mitchell was indisputably over the course of the last not one but two seasons the most prolific red zone target this offense has had. And historically, it's hard to find a Virginia Tech comparison that could do that many things in the red zone. We're talking about jet sweeps with a tight end. We're talking about a guy, you remember that catch that he made in the North Carolina game just two short weeks ago. There's not that many guys on this offense that can do it. So what worries me from that side is not the amount of catches that we lose from James Mitchell because, you know, he wasn't catching 10 balls a game. We can't pretend that that was the case. But when the going got tough in the red zone, he was the guy to go to. And I think when defenses look at Virginia Tech, they're not going to look at Nick Gallo or Drake DeLewis. I can't even necessarily pronounce that. Dulius. Dulius, <laughs> excuse me. And treat him with the same respect that you're going to treat James Mitchell, which means a lot more pressure is on Robinson and Turner, two guys who have been great contributors to this team. Two guys who have been playing since pretty much the moment they stepped on campus. But two guys that we also saw, as we all mentioned earlier, fail to create separation in the Middle Tennessee game. (laughs) So, I don't know. With with, with a lesser quarterback in terms of throwing the ball, and Braxton obviously opens up the offense on the ground to some degree, I, I, I think this makes a significant impact, and it's going to be up to Trey and Tavion to win those matchups. And as Ricky mentioned, and as Skyler mentioned in this previous segment, we're not playing God here. This is a West Virginia secondary that has struggled. You know, that matchup right there between Virginia Tech's wideouts and the defensive backs of West Virginia is one place where I see this game could be won or lost. The other is in the trenches. And West Virginia has got a heck of a D line. Mike, I'm going to ask you how confident are you in this offensive front for Virginia Tech to be able to get the push, not only for the running game, but to protect Braxton Burmeister in the passing game? What side of the offensive line? All of it. All of it, baby. One unit. Vice squad. From Brock Hoffman to the left, I feel pretty good. From Brock Hoffman to the right, it's a work in progress. And one, one last thing I wanted to bring up with James Mitchell, right? is that where I think this really affects Virginia Tech, and this is why I think Virginia Tech other wide receivers are going to have an issue, right, is because Mitchell would draw an extra defender, especially when he was lined up in the slot, right? He would draw an extra defender. Now, like you mentioned, Andrew, like without Mitchell, defenses aren't going to have the same respect for Gallo or Deulis or Deulis, whatever. We'll call him Drake. Yeah, call him Drake. I butcher that name. I mean, I, I never get the name right. Um, sorry, Drake, if you're listening to this. Um, but, the, but the other area is the running game. James Mitchell is one of Virginia Tech's best blockers, and it's nice to have him out there because when you have a right side on offensive line where 
they've been actually okay through two games. It's been kind of up and down as you'd expect with a freshman at right guard and a rotating door at right tackle. But where you're able to shore things up is when you have a guy like James Mitchell lining up, you know, on the line of scrimmage in line right next to a right tackle, where if you need a little bit extra support in the running game from a blocking standpoint, you're going to get it. Um, James Mitchell and Caleb Smith have been out of the tight end and wide receiver group have been the two best blockers on the field in both of Virginia Tech's wins so far. You're losing Mitchell in the passing game and the attention they draws, and he's a great player. You'd rather have him than not, obviously. Um, but I think where Virginia Tech's really going to miss James Mitchell is in the running game, especially on the right side of the offensive line. So back to the question, how confident I am in Virginia Tech up front, I, I think that certainly they have an opportunity to, to run the football and have the same level of, of success and effort, but a lot of that is going to come from the effort of the two tight ends that are now going to play a significantly bigger role. Um, the, the right side of the offensive line, it's going to be pieced together as the year continues to go on. Um, I think they'll be serviceable throughout the year. They've been serviceable through two games. The left side of the offensive line, barring injury, I'm, I'm not too concerned about. But West Virginia's got a good front, so it will be a challenge. I think, to be quite honest with you, I think West Virginia's front presents Virginia Tech with the biggest challenge thus far. I think they're more athletic and faster um, than the offensive, than the defensive line, excuse me, that Virginia Tech faced against North Carolina two weeks ago. I think the one of the big worries for me that I have is that, at least against Middle Tennessee, it seemed like Virginia Tech's running game started to get going when they got the quarterback involved and they, they added a number to that equation. And we've been down this path before, right? Like we talked about it all preseason about how we were worried that Virginia Tech's offense was going to start to have to rely on the quarterback to move the ball on the ground. And through the first against North Carolina, we, we praised how Brad Cornelson avoided that against the Tar Heels and, uh, was able to, you know, jump out to a 14 nothing lead with basically without using Braxton Burmeister as a designed runner. And we started to see some glimpses of that against Middle Tennessee, and I'm worried that Burmeister is now going to be uh, asked to carry the ball eight to ten times on uh, designed run plays. And... Uh, we've already seen him get knocked out of one game and we're two games in. He's uh, a, a light guy anyway. He's not someone who's got a lot of a lot of meat to his bones. And that worries me because Knox Kadem and Connor Blumrick ain't going to do it. You know, the, the Tech's not going to be able to win a ton of games with those guys taking the majority of the snaps. So Tech's going to have to find a way to keep Burmeister healthy and continuing continuing to move the ball on the ground, and I'm not really sure how they can do that without having to involve him more um, on veers or read options or anything like that. This kid, Dante Stills, on the interior defensive line for West Virginia, is a real talent. And the opportunity for him to face off against, as Mike mentioned, a weak right side of this offensive line gives West Virginia the opportunity to take away not just the RPO, but the inside zone. And what does that force? That forces more Burmeister on the outside. 
maybe pass plays that Virginia Tech doesn't want to run. And Burmeister on the outside, Virginia Tech fans have seen it, is not necessarily a bad thing. If we could put ourselves in a position where it's Braxton Burmeister versus West Virginia's open field tacklers in the defensive backfield, I'm not necessarily worried. But the injury issue is there, and it gives West Virginia one less thing to worry about. These young guys, no, not necessarily young guys. Moore is a young guy. Dancy has the experience. But I think they're going to need to step up in a, in a certain way against what has to be a superior side of the ball for West Virginia, at least when you look at that right side. And as I mentioned before, this game's going to be won in the trenches. And what's necessarily or what might necessarily be considered the wink, sorry, I'm all over the place, the weak link of the offensive line for Virginia Tech could make or break the game. I do think Tech has got the upper hand here overall, but the margin for error is slim. The good thing is for Virginia Tech is that West Virginia likes to turn the football over. Yeah. They they coughed it up four times against Maryland. Um, yep. And... My and almost won that game, so West Virginia could theoretically be two and zero if they could take care of the football. And I know that Skyler had mentioned earlier in the segment that Daggy is is someone that historically does take care of the football, uh, for better or for worse. It's kind of made him maybe a bit too conservative, but this Tech defense, especially the secondary, seems like they can get their hands on some footballs and winning the turnover battle for really the rest of the season is going to be a critical component to a Virginia Tech win, no matter who they're facing. Yeah, I agree. Like, like you mentioned, Ricky, Virginia Tech's margin for error is extremely small. And it's going to be like that the rest of the season. And it's going to be like that. Exactly. It's going to be like that for the rest of the season. As long as we see this version of the Virginia Tech offense, which I mean, do I think there will be improvements on the offense? Yeah. Do I think they're going to all of a sudden put up like 450 or 500 yards a game? No, I don't. So the margin for error is going to continue to be extremely thin um, because I think the ceiling for the offense isn't, well, definitely isn't as high with, without James Mitchell, but in general is not very high this year, period. Um, we were lied to by the coaching staff in the offseason when they said, you know, this is the most explosive offense we've had. Yeah, I mean, that was yeah. small coach speak clearly through two games. Um, doesn't mean they can't improve, but, you know, defensively, I'm pretty confident in the product that Virginia Tech's putting on the field through two games. I, I do think Virginia Tech has the upper hand, and I, and I do think that the way that Virginia Tech is going to be able – to have success throughout the rest of the season is for Burmeister to continue to take care of the football for the running backs and the receivers to continue to take care of the football for the defense to continue to force turnovers. There's an element of luck to that, of course, but if Virginia tech is able to take care of the football, there aren't going to be many games that Virginia tech is going to be out of with the way that the defense is playing. Does that mean they're going to win every game they play? No, Um, but they're going to have their opportunity. It's going to be harder for them to get blown out if they take care of the football and the defense continues to play at a high level. Um, so uh, it's, it's one thing to just say, okay, what's the key to the game and be like, Oh yeah. I mean, don't, you know, win the turnover battle and it sounds cliche, but when you go on the road against a team that 
in West Virginia is, you know, for, we all, we all know Virginia tech is flawed, right. Um, primarily on the offensive side of the football and from a depth standpoint at many positions across the roster on both offense and defense, Virginia tech is a flawed football team. West Virginia is a flawed football team as well. So how do you go into a hostile environment and win a close football game? You take care of the football and it sounds cliche, but I feel like that's going to be the story of the game on Saturday. Virginia tech can handle going on the road for the first time in a true road environment for the first time in two years with a lot of young guys playing, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Like you've got to make sure you take care of the football. I think Virginia tech does that. They're going to give themselves an excellent chance to win. All right. Last one, before we get to these ACC picks, Dagey. Skyler had his own complaints about him, but this is a guy that could make or break the game for West Virginia. Mike, I know you've seen the film. What's your opinion on this kid? Uh, all I'm hearing is replacement level quarterback. Yeah, he's like a less mobile Kenny Pickett. <laughs> like, oh boy, he's um, and, and you know, Virginia Tech fans are going to look at that. They're going to be like, "Well, Kenny Pickett torched us last year." <laughs> yeah, like Davey <laughs> could too, in theory. Um, if you let him just sit back there and not be pressured and sling the ball around, he's capable of, of throwing on you. He's got some good guys around him too. And the skill, yes, and the skill position talent around him is pretty good. West Virginia's got a lot of speed. They got a lot of playmakers. Um, I think the way for Virginia Tech to really make him uncomfortable is to get pressure on him because he's not a mobile quarterback. Um, so I, I like Virginia Tech's opportunity in this game on defense because I, you know, West Virginia absolutely has some players, you know, skill position talent. Um, I just worry about the defense if Virginia Tech is not able to get a consistent pass rush on Daigie, because I do think he can hurt you if he's just sitting back there being able to throw 35 times. You're not really pressuring him. But Virginia Tech, to their credit, they've done a really good job of getting after the quarterback. Um, especially in the North Carolina game. It was a bit more conservative play calling in the middle Tennessee State game, which I didn't love. Um, but I, I think Virginia Tech will get back to, to being aggressive on the defensive side of the ball in this football game. And if you can stop the run with Letty Brown, that's really going to make Daggy's life a bit more difficult. Um, just exactly like Virginia Tech did against North Carolina, you stop the run and you're able to you know, have permission or have the right to, to get after the quarterback on, on third down. And I think Virginia Tech does that. They're going to have a great chance. Certainly, if Virginia Tech is bestowed with the opportunity to get after the quarterback, we might be in business. Ricky, any final thoughts on the quarterback position? Do you have anything to add before we get to our ACC picks? Really hope that Brad Cornelson keeps Braxton Burmeister as clean as possible. Yep. And um, got to got to take the long-term view on his usage yep. and I completely agree that coordinating him into the running game would make Virginia Tech's offense a lot better. Um, but that being said, you've got, you know, a very fragile object here and the replacement for that fragile object is nowhere near as good. So yeah. please find a way to keep him clean. And if you want to run it in the red zone too, by the way, just use Blumrick again. That worked fine. <laughs> that worked fine against Middle Tennessee. Just do that again. Don't get Burmeister hurt. Okay, but West Virginia isn't Middle Tennessee. And how confident is this coaching staff that if need be, Blumrick can throw that touchdown pass? If they're confident, that's cool because then you have a new weapon. But if it's going to be a situation where 
you know, go back to 2019, Quincy Patterson, the 50 yard line and everyone and their mother knows what's going to happen here when this play is run. Well, that's not necessarily a good thing. I understand what you're saying there, Ricky. We need to keep Braxton Burmeister healthy. But as we've discussed, the spark plug of this offense is Braxton Burmeister's versatility. So how careful can you be? I, I, I don't want him to get hurt either. My heart dropped I don't, when he it, went down against Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, I don't really know what the, the fine line is. Thankfully, I'm not getting paid about a million dollars to <laughs> to decide what yeah. that middle ground is. Because if, if I was, I money. could probably give it to you. Uh, but thankfully, that's not my job description. And you don't want Burmeister walking on eggshells either, right? No. Like If he sees an opportunity, you want him to run and you want him to use his versatility. And clearly through two games, he's not afraid to take off and run, right? I mean, he's not he afraid does to, need to learn hurt. how to slide because good Lord. It, it, it seems yeah, to me that taking off and running is his default setting, which isn't a bad thing given his skill set. But the one thing I'll say about Burmeister that I like more than Hendon Hooker, especially last year, when Hooker takes off, he's taken off. He has completely yeah. given up on throwing the football. Yep. I have seen flashes of Burmeister taking off, but keeping his eyes downfield. Yep. And yep. that's an encouraging sign. Um, I'm hoping that he'll continue to do that. And again, learn how to slide, kid. Lord yeah, knows yeah. I looked bad when I was sliding in baseball because I was always too fat. But for, <laughs> for, for heaven's sake, like Burmeister is an athlete. He's got to learn how to slide. The, the the play the play against North Carolina where Burmeister rolled out and had the option to run. It was down by the red zone, so it's a little bit different. But he had the option to to run. He rolled out to his right and threw that touchdown pass to Mitchell is a prime example on a small sample size of him keeping his eyes down the field. All right, gentlemen, let's get into the ACC picks here. Uh last week, six and three for Mike, six and three for Ricky, five and four for me. The difference there. Me arbitrarily picking Kennesaw State because Mike hyped down Georgia Tech so much and then picked <laughs> for them. But that's okay. I want like, Mike's playing chess. You're playing checkers. That's Andrew. right, man. Yes, he Just is. mind games. <laughs> yes, he is. But hey, let's start it off. Central Florida goes to Louisville. Central Florida, a seven-point favorite in the contest. Mike, what do you think? I like Louisville to cover. I I like no justification why. I mean, (laughs) hey, man, I'll take a home dog with a touchdown every day of the week on a Friday night. Hell yeah. Louisville. I mean, Louisville to cover UCF, maybe win, but Louisville to cover. I mean, I'm with Mike on this one. It's the deadly, you know, versus the deadly, you don't. I don't know much about UCF right now. And I know that Malik Cunningham is an absolutely loose cannon who can give you anything on any given night. (laughs) But I think they can hang in there. Give me Louisville. I'll take UCF. I think UCF wins the game. I just think Louisville keeps it close. I don't know if that matters to you, Andrew. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I mean, again, yeah. I just don't know much about uh Like you said before, I'll take a seven-point dog at home when the seven-point dog is in a power conference and hasn't shown themselves to be completely terrible, only kind of completely terrible <laughs> over the course of the last two years. I mean, I don't know, man. It's, it's a tough game. Here's one that is near and dear to our listeners' hearts. UVA on the road at Carolina with Carolina as eight-point favorites. Mike, what do you think? I like Virginia to cover. Um, I think Carolina probably wins the game at home. But I do like UVA to cover. Uh, Mac Brown has had a hard time beating Virginia. <laughs> like, a really hard time beating Virginia. Like, it doesn't happen. So, um, 
it didn't happen last year. I, it's going to be really important for North Carolina to limit uh, Brennan Armstrong's explosiveness, both passing and running the football. And Armstrong's been really good through two games. Now you got to look at the opponents they've been playing. I mean, they've played William and Mary and they've played a really bad Illinois team. So you got to take that into account, but Armstrong's been good in North Carolina has shown a propensity at times to give up big plays, both in the passing game and the running game. So just keep an eye on the explosive plays, but I think North Carolina wins. Look, the UNC team, we saw a lot of players playing their first game in a truly hostile environment. And I was in Lane Stadium that night, and so were you, Mike. It was about as hostile of an environment as it gets. UVA at home, yes, they've beaten Illinois. Yes, they've beaten William and Mary. I like Josh Downs. Sam Howe, despite what the mock drafts are showing right now, is still one of the most quality quarterbacks in college football right now. They should be able to beat UVA by eight points. I don't see it being a massive blowout, but a 10 to 14 point victory by UNC. Josh Downs alone could show out on this team. I like UNC. What about you, Ricky? Interesting fact the leading rusher going into this game for both teams is. Sam Howell. Yeah, that makes no sense. Um, give me the Who's to cover eight. Yeah. Wow. That's and I'm, I have a feeling they might win this game. I have a feeling they could win this game, too. Like, I would take a look at the money line, seriously. Like, UNC's crowd is dissipated at this point, right? Because they're all still deflated from two weeks ago. And Brennan Armstrong, as much as I hate to say it, he may not be Steve Young like Bronco Mendenhall was saying he was a couple <laughs> years ago, but the kid can play. And um, if if he's healthy, UVA is a dark horse coastal contender. I'll never forget last year, probably around mid-October, early November, I give these guys prep, essentially, what I'm going to ask. And sometimes I'll just think of something and throw it at them. And when I ask, who would you rather have, Hendon Hooker or Brandon Armstrong, things got out of control. Yeah. Things got absolutely out of control. Because right now, I'd probably rather have Brandon Armstrong, but I'd rather have Sam Howell than either of those guys. Hey, last week, App State in Miami, with Miami as nine-and-a-half-point favorites, we went across the board Miami – and we were all wrong. Miami sneaks out of that one, truly sneaks out. And now Michigan State comes to town. Miami, six-point favorites at home. Miami, close. I mean, within 10 points. I, I'm not betting it, but Miami. I think Miami wins. I just don't know. Miami is mid, so we'll take the other mid-team, Michigan State. Kenneth Walker the third, Wake Forest last year, part of that Two-horse backfield at Wake Forest. He was good there so far. Over 300 yards and five touchdowns. I like Michigan State here. Not much faith in Manny Diaz in Miami until they can get things together. All right, Kenny Pickett looking to show out at home what could be Pittsburgh's game of the year. They host Western Michigan as 15-point favorites. Mike, what do you think? Pitt. Pitt's been good. Pitt's been good. Yeah, Pitt. Easy. No question. I'm going with you guys on that one. You beat Tennessee. You've earned my respects. Pitt might be more of a problem in the Coastal than we thought. I mean, Tennessee's not all that great, but Pitt is 
Pitt is like Pitt is like Virginia, maybe a little bit better in the sense yeah, right. that they can they can win the coastal this year. And Definitely, like, the coastal the coastal turnstile is continuing to to spin, fellas. And yeah. I don't know who the hell it's going to land on, but no. it could land on Pitt. I mean, no, it's wide right. open. Look, it was Miami and UNC going into the season. You guys both just picked UVA, who was picked to finish fourth or fifth in the coastal, maybe. Believe even, even worse based on the ACC media is clueless. Yes. And I, I can say that as someone who used to vote in that poll. Yeah. Well, we're all <laughs> drinking our own Kool-Aid, but now we think that UVA is going to walk into UNC and at least keep it within a touchdown. Whereas if that was week one, that would have been a what? 17 point spread. 14 Easy. point spread. Yeah. Something yeah. Plus. Yeah, so if that's now, the opener, it's probably seven. Yeah, I don't know about seven team. Definitely like two scores, very least. And Miami's lost their number one running back and almost lost to App State, gotten absolutely housed by Alabama, which honestly doesn't even play into the calculus at all in my mind. It's getting interesting, but Pitt has gone on the road and beaten Tennessee in a hostile stadium. I don't know how hostile the environment was, but it was a game that Tennessee did not want to lose and Pitt took it. We'll see how good Tennessee is. You know, they're, they could finish low in that week SEC East, but I take no credit away from them so far. Yeah. Pitt could have beaten them by more too. They had a few special teams issues, a couple dumb turnovers. They could have won that game by two or three scores. Similar to how Virginia Tech could have beat Carolina by a couple scores in week one. Same deal. Here's one for your boy, Joey. Georgia Tech at Clemson. Clemson, 28-point favorites. Rip. Clemson. <laughs> Clemson. I mean, Clemson <laughs> hasn't really been all that impressive. I mean, oh, oh, man. Clemson hasn't been all that impressive, but Georgia Tech doesn't know who's playing quarterback yet. Uh, so, I'll go with the crowd and dare Ricky to pick against us. Clemson. Oh, no, I'm picking Clemson. And also, <laughs> shout out Mike for having the office in the background during the podcast. Yes, sir. I, I do not recognize the episode, but I can see Michael Scott's face from a mile away. Somewhere the McDaniel, in season six. The McDaniel household <laughs> always has the office on. I know that. For but no, I am. I would absolutely hammer Clemson on this. Georgia yeah. Tech is things are not going great over there. Yep. The rebuild not going as planned. All right. Florida State. Who, by the way, we didn't even pick, we didn't even pick last week. We didn't pick Florida State because we didn't think it was worthy of our silly us. No more disrespect for. I didn't think it was State. worthy of googling the spread. Florida State losers to Jacksonville State travel to Winston Salem to face the Fighting Dave Clausens of Wake Forest, where Wake Forest is a five-point favorite. I, yeah, I was going to say, I would have picked Wake regardless of what happened against Jacksonville State. Wake Forest, they're better. I, I, I think Florida State might just give up and they might implode this year. Like, they might that's, quit. That's, that, that's kind of the MO of their program, and I think Miami can get there too if, if their season goes south here early on. But give me Wake, absolutely. If, if Florida right. State loses this by a couple scores, they'll quit. Am I incorrect in this statement? The best developmental football program in the country hosts the worst developmental football program in the country this weekend. Miami uh, would like the word. Uh, well, yeah, and also, I mean, uh, it's hard to not think about Wisconsin or Iowa in terms of best developmental schools in the country. I'm just saying bang for buck, right? I mean, Wisconsin gets decent recruits. They end up like 
45th. Iowa does like not 10. get decent recruits. <laughs> well, those corn boys, regardless. The point they recruit better than Wade. Them, them corn-fed boys. Yeah. Regardless, Dave Clawson runs a hell of a program down yes, there. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Yep. You know I love Clawson. Yeah, we know. <laughs> All right. Steam and Deeks. Steam and Deeks, baby. <laughs> we move on. We got two games left to pick here, gentlemen. And this one, I think, is a game that all eyes will be on on the East Coast and even parts of the Midwest this weekend. Northwestern, the three-point <laughs> favorite at Duke. Northwestern. Can we, can we decide this game by each team's uh, cumulative GPA? Because that would probably be a more entertaining way than decide how they're, they're rather than them actually play football. To steal a line from Corso, closer than the experts think. <laughs> I mean... I don't know who the hell to pick in this game. Um, give me, give me Northwestern. They're the, probably the better coach team. Yeah, I, that's why I'm picking Northwestern too. I mean, their their team isn't really all that good, um, I, mostly because they don't have a quarterback. Defense is still good though, and I, I don't trust Duke week to week. How could you? Look over the course of the last decade, I think any program in college football would be lucky to have David Cutcliffe or Pat Fitzgerald. But 2021 is not going to be either of their years. I'll take the journalists over the investment bankers. Give me Northwestern. Hadn't been uh, David Cutcliffe's year in a while. A while is not that long in this situation. Duke made bowl games six out of seven years at Duke. Good for him. I mean, Pat Fitzgerald has done a great job. But when did that end? 2019? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll give him him mad props. But the last, what, three, four years? It's starting to look a lot like late, late term Frank Beamer to me. It is. No, it's starting to look a lot like pre David Cutcliffe Duke over there, which is a scary concept <laughs> for the people down there. Okay, which Durham. is worse than 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 Frank. So, like, <gasps> oh. I think we the, are. Okay, the, 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 the real test is something we'll talk about next week that around this time, which is when they're going to play Kansas. And they don't win that game. <laughs> that's when the no pun intended because of the Blue Devils pitchforks come out. Uh, you <laughs> You You better keep that in the pod, David. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last one on the docket. Virginia Tech goes to West Virginia. Whoa, are we gonna are we gonna pick BC and Temple? I didn't have enough room on my piece of paper. (laughs) BC is a fifteen and a half point road favorite. I'm gonna take BC because this is a Jeff Halfley stand podcast. I'm taking Temple. BC's about their starting quarterback. I'm, I know. Temple's I know, bad, but, though. But Jeff Halfley. But Jeff Halfley. Fair Jeff enough. Halfley like is, is not on the injury report. Yep. <laughs> it's true. Temple got dogged by Rutgers, who may or may not be the best team in the nation. But <laughs> all the things that we talked about with Boston College when I picked them as the second best team in the Atlantic are still true, minus the quarterback that brought it all together. Are they still in their position that they were previously? Absolutely not. Can they beat a bad Temple team? I certainly hope so. Boston College wins by 24. Now we move on to the big game. West Virginia hosts Virginia Tech. That's three-point favorites at home. Michael. Rango, Virginia Tech 23, West Virginia 20. I think it's going to be competitive. I think Virginia Tech has a path to win this game by a touchdown or more, but it's going to require the best offensive performance that they've put out so far 
and that's a lot to rely upon on the road. So I think Virginia Tech wins because I think they're the better team, but it's going to be a tough environment. Because of that, I think West Virginia keeps it close, but Virginia Tech wins. Richard. I am curious as to how Vegas got to this spread, given yeah. that Tech is 2-0 and and has a win over a top 25 team. Granted, it's at home, but the top 25 team in West Virginia uh, looked – inept against Maryland and then beats a uh, recent division two promotion, Long Island who, Hey, I had no idea. Long Island had a football program. The sharks. I had no idea. Long Island university was a thing. Uh, moving on though, I'm going to take tech to win this game and I'm going to go 24, 24, 17. Um, I think Tech takes care of the football. Um, I think the defense is able to clamp down. It's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a stomach ache. There, there's probably going to be at least seven to eight minutes of this game where you think it's going to go down the toilet, and then it'll you know flip around because that's just how Virginia Tech football is going to be this year. So I'll take Tech. You guys know my stance on these things. It's hope for the best to expect the worst. With James Mitchell going down with the offensive ineffectiveness, not only in the first half of Middle Tennessee State, but the second half of North Carolina. Whereas in the first half, James Mitchell was a big part of that offense. It's hard not for me to look at the negative side of things. I can't believe Ricky's not looking at the negative side of things. I'm going to take West Virginia in a close one. I'm going to go 20 four to 20 West Virginia. Uh, they barely covered that spread. You know, it, it's just difficult for me to see this offense outscoring anybody. And in a tough road environment where in the same way that North Carolina didn't have that experience playing on the road for the young guys, due to the guys for Virginia tech and West Virginia is going to be rowdy. They've already announced that as a sellout. That's no surprise to anyone. I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to say Virginia Tech drops a two and one in this game. It doesn't necessarily impact my perspective of whether they can beat Notre Dame at home. That perspective will be impacted by how Notre Dame does against the likes of Wisconsin and Cincinnati. If Virginia Tech does not win this contest, unless Virginia Tech were to somehow get blown out, which I don't see as a solution. I see this game as a toss up. And I think you guys might agree with me on that. It is a toss up to some degree, but yeah, I like West Virginia, but gentlemen, Real quick, the only other over-under that we need to hit on is the over-under of batteries that are thrown from over. the stands at Virginia Tech players. Over. I'm going to set, set it at one and a half over. instances. Over. I hope Didn't not. You tell me the number. It was over. <laughs> whether you're rooting for Virginia Tech or West Virginia in this game, you should be rooting for civil society to come away victorious. And <laughs> a lot to ask in Morgan. We don't, we don't throw batteries at amateur. Thankfully, athletes. this isn't like 1998 anymore. Like, I think I think we're going to be okay, uh, but I don't know. We'll see. All right, gentlemen. Any last words? Any shout-outs before we uh, kick this thing? Rate, review, subscribe. Shout out to Skylar Callahan for coming on. Uh, he was terrific. We'll definitely have to get him on more often. Go follow all the boys on Twitter. Uh, Andrew's at Andrew Alex Radio, right? A-L-I-X. Yep. Uh, Mike McDaniel's at Mike McDaniel SOS. And he, you can find him. Just search his name on Spotify at this point, and it'll come up as to the eight different podcasts that he's on. Not quite Joe Rogan yet. No, but you're you're headed in that direction. 
Spotify's got you on the radar. That would be lucrative experience. And then, and then you can, then you can be the, the butt of everyone's joke on, in, in mainstream media. I'll tell you, you what, follow though, me if... at Ricky, the blue on Twitter and uh, rate. Like I said, rate review, subscribe. If I'm getting that Joe Rogan paycheck, all three of us are retiring. That's hey. I'm coming along for the journey. No matter what Mike does, I'll live in your pool house, man. I'll live in my pool house. <laughs> Thanks dope. for tuning in. As Ricky said, <laughs> Skylar Callahan, make sure to follow him. Sports Illustrated for West Virginia. If you're a Carolina Panthers fan, I swear he puts out the best content out there. Mike McDaniel, a good man. Ricky LeBlue, a good man. I think I'm a good guy too. And we will talk to you next week to review the West Virginia game. I know the Richmond preview might be a little bit of a slump either way. Anything can happen. And that's why you keep tuning in to the Hokey Hangover podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy twice a week, every week. Until then, go Hokies.